0: Good day and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin this week. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak and dagger capital intrigue, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. And now surviving and thriving, despite the frigid <laughs> weather and the shrieking of liberal Twitter trolls, it's Team MacGyver. I'm Randy Kaye, otherwise known as Matt Kittle, investigative reporter at MacGyver News. I'm Bill Osmolski, MacGyver News director.
1: Ola Lasowski, Research Associate Extraordinaire.
2: (laughs) And Chris Rochester, Communications Director. Uh, We hope you're enjoying the new podcast at the gym or in the car while slacking off at work or just as a replacement for those addictive sleeping pills. And if you are, please sign up for regular podcast updates on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And share with those you love.
0: Nobody's Aww. got the contact high from Randy Kay yet over at CNN, do they? <laughs> no, that's a
2: name I have, haven't heard in the news. What
0: a new. Oh, that's the that's the big story. New Year's Eve, of course, as opposed to having just Anderson Cooper and uh, What's Her Face do all kinds of inappropriate things on the air for news people. They had Randy Kay broadcasting live from Colorado, oh, holding I did a hear joint, about that. holding right. a bong and uh, immersing herself in the pot culture that is Colorado.
3: Well, here at the McIver Report, you'll probably just find caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of it. Well, but got- you will get a contact buzz just from being here. <laughs> well, we've got a ton to talk about today, so we're going to dive in head first. And we're going to start with the UW-Madison bias reporting system. Now, this has been around for a few years now, so you might have heard of it. Well, we've obtained 88 of the reports through an open records request from last year, and they are eye-opening. All right, so to just give you a taste of one of the reports that we found, there was a homeless man standing at the student union on campus, and probably not all there, yelling racist at everyone who looked at him. Well, one of the students took offense to this and filed a bias report and said that something had to be done about the man and that he was hiding behind his white privilege Jeez, very very privileged <laughs> you, you
2: couldn't you can't make this up if you tried to come up with a parody of what politically correct culture looks like. Run wild. it's. This guy, okay, so he's annoying
0: people. He's calling them, screaming racist at everyone who walks past. But he's homeless. (laughs) And this student on campus believes that he doesn't understand his white privilege. The guy probably, moments before, was rooting through the garbage for his meal. And he doesn't understand his white privilege. That's, That's exactly how insane the political correctness police have gotten. But it's a real shame because there are actual legitimate reports of bias and racism contained within these incident reports. The system was set up
2: to,
3: with the purpose of reporting actual, you know, actual incidents of where someone's a victim of right. racism. And only a small fraction of these reports is anything that a reasonable person would say, yeah, no question, that is racism. But the whole bias reporting system that, that we found is that it doesn't really do anything to effectively address those problems. So with the bias reporting process, if you feel like you've witnessed or been victim of hate or bias, you go and you file this report online or in person at a few places on campus. Now, they take that report, and first thing they do is they compile it with all their other statistics about how, how much racism there is on campus. The next thing they do is they offer you help from a support group. When it comes to actually addressing the problem, like even when you have the person named who did this to you, they very rarely even reach out to that person. They claim on their website that they conduct investigations. Well, there really aren't any investigations. One of the big problems with hate and bias is it's not illegal, and most times it's not even against university policy. And when I say, when I say that, I mean if somebody calls you a word you don't like, there's really no recourse against that person.
0: Right. It's covered by free speech, which... It should. There are some awfully uncivil human beings in this world. We have to deal with them. It doesn't mean that it's against the law. But you uncovered cases where people were actually assaulted in the name of race, and that's what I'm saying, that these these extraneous reports, these high school grudges and others, they seem to dilute the actual incidence of racism and bias. Yeah.
1: They well, diminish some of these really serious instances. Well, since, yeah, yeah. The,
3: the big ones involve Asian Americans, and I find that a little surprising because it's not you know what you might typically expect. But all, right. um, all the all, most of the serious reports of racism involved Asians and Asian Americans, and things that could not be mistaken. Um, probably the most uh, egregious report involved a woman an asian woman walking down the street Uh, a man started pushing her around and yelling go back to your own country so clearly there's a problem here now the way the university addresses these after they've collected these reports is they will hold workshops with other student organizations about why racism is bad so essentially preaching to the choir and then they put out more flyers about if you have a problem with racism reported through the system this is you know, as I was saying, this isn't illegal. It's not against, most of this stuff isn't against university policy. Obviously, cases like the one I just said are. But you need a culture change. That is the only way to actually effectively stop people from, you know, for example, saying the N-word or, you know, bad things about, you know, um, you know people who are LGBT, that sort of thing. You need a culture change. And having workshops that are talking to people that already believe what you believe well, probably isn't really, well, it's not having effective results yeah
0: i mean the reporting is interesting and what you found in a number of cases unfortunately with these complaints is i think it exposes a general ignorance on college campuses please please share the story of the Buffalo Soldier (laughs) Pizza Slice of the Day. I think that really drives this point home.
3: So at the Student Union, they apparently offer a special pizza slice of the day every day. And uh, one day last year, they had buffalo chicken. And so on their sign, they said, Slice of the Day, Buffalo Soldier. Now, quick historical note, Buffalo Soldier is what the Plains Indians called black soldiers, a racist term that was uh, comparing them to buffalo Saying that they look like buffalo,
1: though I'm sure uh, the extent of the familiarity uh, for most students at UW Madison of that term extends to Bob Marley and the Whalers, great uh, song.
2: Buffalo Soldier. That's probably but, where they got the name of the pizza slice. Yeah. So they, they, they probably didn't mean anything by
3: well, it. Well, exactly. It. But so, but there was someone who was offended by this, and um, you know, she found a um, you know a bias report. The ironic thing was, she was Native American. She didn't realize that Buffalo soldier was a racist term that Native Americans used to make fun of black people. She thought it meant, um, it simply referred to soldiers who were, quote, meant to shoot Indians in Buffalo. So this, I mean, this one report just highlights a general ignorance of American history. So you have an undereducated student body, and this is also reflected in so many of these reports through Terrible spelling errors, grammar, um, and a lot of these reports are just com- the composition is just atrocious. I mean, they are very difficult to read. Even if you were sympathetic, you'd have a hard time trying to follow what they're saying. And some of them just go way off the deep end. It. It's like reading like a Bronte sisters novel. With <laughs> my hand is still trembling. Yes, yeah, sweats. You know, may, you know, drips out of the page I, I write
2: the, yeah. the, the feverish. <laughs> the report is is. Crinkled with yeah. tears, and,
3: and, and, and you go on and on, and it turns out the thing is just about some roommate disagreement. Or, you know, you know, and a lot of these reports, you know, as I say <coughs> in the story, really the, the bias report itself is biased from the person who's writing it. I mean, I found things like Oh, we were fighting over, uh, somebody in the weight room didn't want to share the weights. so obviously, you know, they're racist against me. Uh, Somebody said F you to me, so obviously they're sexist against me. So uh, any, any, you know, incident of people being rude, any type of disagreement at all, um, somebody can file a a bias report, and as long as they say it's some kind of bias, they can file the report. But the
0: underlying problem here is you spell it out in your story, is that the definition of bias and racism and hate th- there's the, the definitions are so nebulous, so yeah. all all encompassing that it feeds into these ridiculous
3: complaints that you've you've uh, exposed it, here. Yes, yeah, so and then the complaints hmm. get compiled into these statistics that show about this huge problem with racism on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that we've already talked about, the system does nothing to do, actually address. Those statistics now are going into a national database to make the problem seem even worse than it really is. Yeah. And it feeds the narrative and it, you know, helps, you know, justify the system and the bureaucracy around the system. If
2: you're one of these students who was rude at the gym and we've, I've, dealt, I've dealt with it, and, you know, rude roommates or, or whatever else, of all these different. I know your, your roommates have confided in us. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never ditched on paying rent though, so I mean, but I mean, these are real examples of people who thought they were victims of of mm-hmm. racism, or they were willing to claim they were victims of racism, and that not only goes up to the database where if you were the rude person, you know, you never live it down because it'll live on forever that you're were accused of being a race. But this is, and this is just a a series of examples of how you're cheapening the the word and the the seriousness of actual racism in an Orwellian way. Yes.
3: Yeah, my, my, my big takeaway from this is that this whole reporting system does nothing to address real racism. All the reporting system really does is justify its own existence.
1: Yeah.
0: Like so much on college
3: campuses. <laughs> yes. and, 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 Feel good
2: policy for liberals. And,
3: and as any good bureaucracy you would expect out of any good bureaucracy, and moving from one ineffective bureaucracy to the next. Matt, <laughs> you've been looking at a new problem at the Toma VA.
0: Yeah, this is interesting, Bill. It's, I think, maybe. The, if not the, one of the most undercovered stories of the last several days, which is unfortunate because it was three years ago, if you recall, that the Toma Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Toma, Wisconsin, was the subject of a bombshell national investigation on uh, opioid overprescription, painkiller overprescription. They called it Candyland for a reason. And the chief of staff there, they called him Candyman. For a reason. The allegations were pretty stark and troubling that we had a veteran die because of a fatal cocktail of medicines, particularly painkillers. That we had a federal report where we had um, patients, veterans, who were so drugged out of their minds they didn't know their own names. And we had prescription drugs being sold in and around Tomah, Wisconsin, because of the proliferation of opioids. Well, the
2: drug diversion thing is something that is not talked about that much, but this is a a rural area where methamphetamine is a big problem. And, I mean, the volume of pills that this guy was allowing to be, demanding, or forcing his staff to
0: prescribe is shocking like thousands of pills for an individual for a month very much so
1: and, stuff and there was
0: even uh, through the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs uh, Committee investigation chaired by Senator Ron Johnson we found in May 2016 that, that uh, perhaps there was some evidence to suggest that the chief of staff was taking these painkillers along with some other staff members while all this is going on now this is a backstory to what we found out last week. That as the Toma VA Medical Center has tried to clean things up and they have stated publicly that we're on our way to changing the culture and the climate here, uh, we have sources stepping forward to MacIver uh, News Service, and we find out that there was a malfunction in the climate control center of the outpatient pharmacy at the Toma VA. Temperatures in that area surged to 97 degrees for several hours, we're told, ultimately compromising the medications. They were able to keep within a vault the narcotics medications, the opioids, the painkillers, and they were controlled, but just about everything else from diabetes uh, test strips to Um, you know, medications for epilepsy, to autoimmune deficiency disorders, all of those medicines were subjected to this temperature surge. This happened on December 17th. The only way we know about this is because some brave people stepped forward and told us. The VA center confirmed that there was a temperature fluctuation, but they still refused to answer some very serious questions as of the taping of this podcast today. And those questions include, were veterans subjected to compromised medications that could compromise their health? How long has the temperature fluctuation been a problem? We've been told by sources it's been going on for about a year and not addressed. The biggest issue here, other than the fact that we could have compromised medications going to these veterans, is that nobody seemed to want to step forward from administration and that's troubling once again.
3: Well, they also realize that this could be a really easy thing to cover up. If a veteran gets a bad medication and they say go into seizures, they probably aren't going to, the first thing they think of isn't going to be, oh, my medication was bad. So it's kind of up to the VA to follow up with these veterans to make sure that there were no bad effects or it's up to the media to get the word out there of what happened so that if somebody has a family member that's having really bad effects from this that people can start to connect the dots and figure out what happened and hold them accountable for for this uh, those are
0: the the questions we asked as of monday we have an updated story at macgyverinstitute.com we're still waiting for answers but one of the questions we asked is are are you contacting veterans are you contacting people who could have been affected by this the other question is, is this under investigation? And the response from the spokesman was, well, I wouldn't call it an investigation, but we are asking questions about what happened. This is a... That would seem to be, well, at least uh, parsing of, of terminology.
2: I mean, do they, do they? is this for them a public relations problem rather than a, a systemic problem, a cultural problem where they, I mean, this is pharmacology 101. You know, you learn in... Basic chemistry that molecules break down when they are, you know,
3: when the the heat fluctuates. To me, this shows. All right, you had the Candy Man, and you you reacted to that problem and you you took care of that specific problem, but they did not do anything to address the overall culture of negligence at the VA, and so problems like this will continue. Yeah, no doubt about
0: it. I mean, that's and that's a real concern. And you talk about the breaking down of these medicines. It is scientifically clear, provable knowledge that you don't keep medicines above 86 degrees. The manufacturers are very clear about this. And you do that for several hours at 97 degrees, and you will have the breakdown of these medicines. And remember, these aren't just, it's not just aspirin. Right, I was just gonna mention that. (laughs) This isn't just, it's not Tylenol or something for a headache. these are serious medications We are told that we're filled, that we're compromised or potentially compromised because of this heat surge. And it's a problem that's ongoing. And back to your original statement, yes, they've had all of these PR problems, but these aren't just PR problems. Mm -hmm. This is a promise to our veterans that we're going to provide decent care. And remember, we had all of these lawmakers, particularly Tammy Baldwin, stepping up saying, we're going to address these problems. But then the, the, there's not so much coverage anymore. The coverage, the, the bright lights of the cameras
3: go away. And then what happens to our veterans after that? Well, and Tammy Baldwin was implicated, or, or at least she, uh, fingers were pointing at her when the last VA problem happened. Now a new VA uh, problem, you know, was occurring. She obviously did not follow through to make sure that those problems were fixed. But we're coming up on election. and we're starting to see the circling of the wagons around favorite candidates. And in fact, just last week, the Huffington Post ran a story about Baldwin's Senate race not being a sure thing, even though you know everyone's still very confident she'll win, of course. But I mean, that brings us to our next topic, which could also be a liability for her, tax reform. Now, Ola, how is the tax cut Armageddon (laughs) progressing?
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, So we are back to give you a breaking news update on the ongoing American Armageddon. I'm talking, of course, about tax cuts. (laughs) Uh, Quick rundown of all the many lives that are being ruined by both individual and corporate tax rate cuts. A lot of companies this week announcing that they are shutting down and salting the earth where their oh, businesses no. once I stood. I saw this coming, <laughs> you know, reading Well, the, the e- Democrats told you. It's going to be a, a Michael Apple. Bay
2: movie. All right. Yeah. Just wait now, for now. It. Oh, yeah. If you
1: haven't had your coffee yet, of course I am being deeply sarcastic here. Uh, in fact, we know that at least 1 million Americans will get special bonuses from their employer thanks to tax reform. Some of those companies include AT&T, which will give $1000 bonuses to 200 thousand employees and increase capital expenditures in America by $1 billion, with a B. Next company, Aflac, our friendly duck, uh, will contribute <laughs> $500 bucks to every employee's 401k and double their matching to employee 401ks on the first 4% of compensation. That's pretty significant. Does the duck
0: get a bonus, too?
1: I think so. <laughs> okay. I think he was a major uh, mover and shaker in that deal. Uh, American Airlines, which had a pretty good year last year, mainly because it is not United. Uh, Every employee (laughs) except for their officers will get $1,000 bonuses, totaling about $130 million in bonuses in the first quarter of this year. Now, I could go on, uh, the list itself goes on and on and on. Other companies giving their employees $1,000 bonuses this year include American Savings Bank, Bank of America, Bank of Hawaii, Comcast, JetBlue, Naviant, Travelers, Texas Capital Bank, and many, many others. And of course, we're not just talking one-time raises here. Many companies have announced massive investments in their American factories. Of course, what does that mean? Brand new jobs. Lifting people out of unemployment or underemployment. So this will be a continuing story. It, it is a big one. Yeah. I did
2: hear I did hear United is offering $1,000 bonuses to every passenger they beat up and haul off airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> and a free bag of Well, they'll be lining up for that. <laughs>
0: And you, and you get a beverage of so, your choice.
2: That's
3: right. All right. Oh, well, well thank, you, thank you for the update on tax Armageddon. Now, Chris, <laughs> you're looking into the latest development with environmental Armageddon, uh, specifically with renewable fuels. All
2: right. So we heard all kinds of, uh, you know, doom and gloom. This is a terrible policy from the Democrats, Democrats on tax reform, but I don't remember hearing that in 2005 when, with the Bush administration's help, the renewable fuel standards uh, made it into law. Um, but this is actually a really bad policy. It's not causing the end of the world, but uh, you know we all know that the federal government offers enormous subsidies to corn growers so that they can they'll make corn that'll be made into ethanol, which is mandated to be blended into gasoline, which ruined has ruined many a small engine. Um, the and you,
0: Chuck Grassley's reputation.
2: <laughs> well, there's a there's a there's a civil war, so to speak, going on in the GOP because uh, the corn state Republicans are feuding with the with other Republicans not from corn states like Ted Cruz over, you know, threatening to hold up judicial nominations and this and that, uh, demanding that the old standards that were under the Obama administration, so you have a certain amount of ethanol required to be blended, uh, m- requiring those to be maintained. And that's actually what the Trump administration went with, which was, Pretty surprising to me given Scott Pruitt's background or, uh, you know, pedigree, I guess, as a more free market guy. Um, so that's, uh, that's got some people concerned. Um, you know, this is ethanol's terrible policy. It's a classic redistributionist uh, government subsidies, it's not Solyndra. But it's a different. It's going to a different place. It's going to porn growers, and a lot of people are getting rich off of this. Americans have paid eighty-three billion dollars for more than ninety-two billion uh, gallons of ethanol, uh, and not only that, ethanol is can be up to can emit up to seventy percent more in emissions than regular gasoline, which. Now they call premium.
3: Yeah, so it doesn't even follow the cover story of it being good for the environment. It's, it's not
2: better for the environment. I mean, it's a it's a complex molecule that has to break down, which means you got to burn fossil fuels to break it down, right. and then you got to ship it. And you got I mean, it's it's a big mess. And at the end of the story, you get three to four percent fewer miles per gallon from uh, ethanol uh, standard ethanol gasoline anyway. So, so all of
0: the benefits uh, just keep pouring out of this. <laughs> crony capitalistic product, and if right? you've ever had a
2: small engine that had rust issues where you left the gasoline in over the winter and it broke down, and you know into water and. Uh, It's bad for your engines. If you've got an engine you want to keep, they'll tell you to put premium in it. And we
0: all use it because it's cheaper, right? We just fuel it in there because it's going to save us a dime or whatever it is.
2: I don't think so. I think premium is just more expensive because it's premium, but you know it's actually just regular gasoline, right? (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a marketing ploy. And and, you know. For, as for someone that travels to Iowa, I don't think you even have the choice with premium gas there. No, you don't. I mean it's ethanol. That's that's mm-hmm.
0: ethanol territory. But again, this is just another carve out. Mm-hmm. For those and it's interesting, for those who generally stand by conservative principles and free market values and limiting the size and scope of government, they just say you know, this one, all of our principles are out the <laughs> door. Forget all that stuff we talked about. They relate to everything else in our lives, but not this one particular product, and that's interesting. Oh, billions of dollars are on the line here. Come yeah. on. I
2: think it, it has
1: something to do with how tasty corn is. Corn is tasty. Even your engine it.
2: When popped. <laughs>
0: well, <there's> it's <laughs> delicious. Extra movie butter corn, popcorn sort of stuff. You bet. But in your car? I don't know. Uh, no. And your lawnmower. Yeah. No. This is a big issue, and it will continue moving forward. It kind of gets into, you know, we saw, we talked about this before, but you know how just how amazingly conservative Donald Trump turned out to be. But we're seeing some of these kinds of policies that do a little backsliding on those that conservative new pedigree, if you will. And this is one of them. The massive you know, multi-multi-billion dollar proposals to spend on infrastructure. We saw that pair. Yeah, we <laughs> saw that one coming indeed. But, you know, you talked about Scott Pruitt with the EPA and his background in as a free market conservative, and for the most, it is there. But we are seeing other examples of the Scott Pruitt EPA, at least for reasons that aren't entirely clear to us at this point failing to step up and slay the Obama zombie regulations of the EPA. One in particular involves what's going on in southeast Wisconsin with ozone standards that were created during uh, the 2015 revisions in the Obama administrations uh, of, uh, of ozone and air quality issues. And southeast Wisconsin is effectively penalized for the ozone problems of other places. Chicago, Gary, Indiana, Canada, other countries, where because along Lake Michigan, it's been proved that basically this serves as a blanket for ozone and gins up or or raises up the ozone measuring, monitoring uh, stations in points around southeast Wisconsin. So now, We have the Obama administration, the EPA, uh, changing these standards. And now we have Pruitt's EPA saying, well, we're going to abide by the Obama administration's zombie regulations. And Southeast Wisconsin will have to abide by stricter, tougher standards. That means a lot more red tape. For manufacturing, including in a very vital manufacturing county now, Racine, where Foxconn is to locate. What will that all mean? Well, we talked about it in this week's edition of MacGyver News Minute. This is the MacGyver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. Former President Barack Obama has been out of office for nearly a year, but many of his blood-sucking regulations live on. Zombie Obama EPA regs the Trump administration has yet to kill are creating stricter ozone standards that could devour manufacturing expansion and job growth in southeast Wisconsin. Last month, the agency informed Governor Scott Walker that plans to designate five southeast Wisconsin counties as ozone non-attainment zones. That could mean manufacturers in Milwaukee, Ozaukee, Washington and Waukesha counties would have to jump through a lot more regulatory hoops to expand operations or locate a factory in these Lake Michigan counties. Racine County, of course, is the future home to Foxconn's multi-billion dollar manufacturing campus, expected to create and support tens of thousands of jobs. Obama may be gone, but his zombie regulations continue to feast on liberty and prosperity. For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com.
2: All right, and uh, you can hear the McIver News Minute every Tuesday and Thursday on News Talk 1130 WISN. Check it out.
3: And this week at the Capitol in Madison, a couple bills are scheduled for hearings that would seek additional relief from some EPA regulations. Right now, if you sell gasoline in one of those non-attainment zones or counties, it has to be reformulated gas, which is a lot more expensive and not necessarily better for your engine. Now, some lawmakers want, to, want the state to ask the feds for an exemption from that, and then to stop the DNR from getting in the way. Uh, and that's just one of a do- dozens of issues in committee this week. Another one that's near and dear to my heart, school referendum. <clears throat> Senator Strobel wants to limit the number of years a school district can increase operating levies based off of a single referendum. Now, for example, you have some school districts out there where they pass one Referendum to exceed the operating limits and those referendum will go on for 20, 30 years. So he wants to limit that, get that down. So you pass one referendum, you're good for five years and you got to come back to the voters. So, and Ola, you're filing another one of these uh, referendum related bills too.
1: That's right, Bill. Uh, Senate Bill 191, it's going to be in the same committee uh, hearing or executive session, actually, so they'll be taking a vote on it this week. Uh, That bill would prohibit voting on a resolution to exceed revenue limits at school board special meetings. So what that means, if it's passed, school boards would have to take those big votes to exceed their revenue limits at their annual meeting rather than just a special meeting.
2: Seems like a good thing to me. Um, coming up one week from today uh, If you're listening on Tuesday Which is when we plan to post this Is uh, the special election in Senate District 10 That's Sheila Harsdorf's former seat She of course went on to be the Secretary of DATCAP And Adam Jarko uh, emerged uh, as the Republican uh, Running for her seat And Patty Schackner <coughs> is the Democrat No relation to William Shachner They're spelled <laughs> different It's cheap
3: <laughs> our, our resident Trekkie looked into it. <laughs> uh-huh. I wanted to make sure that
2: William Shatner's daughter wasn't
0: running for, you know, as a Democrat. I will tell you this uh, I know going back into Chris's room, there were three hours of uh, investigation that involved uh, Trek episodes uh, from 1968.
2: <laughs> well, you know, those crime scene, you know, those crime <laughs> maps <laughs> they put up with strings attaching photos. I had all that going on. No relationship there, but. Um. Good work on that once again, Trekkie. Good I will work. say that I do what I do geek out on in this, uh, you know, in my personal life uh, is election stuff. You know, uh, following these sorts of things, and um, you know, I would predict that Jarko is going to come out ahead on this one. Um, you know, I'm going to guess like 55 and a half or so percent. Harsdorf won the rec the, when she was recalled with 57 percent. She won her last election with like 63, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. if you look in the primary. Uh, 57% of people who showed up <coughs> and voted were it was in the Republican primary uh, And there w- was a contested Democratic primary too So uh, I would expect that Jericho would probably hold the seat And if he doesn't it's probably going to be a really bad year for the Republicans
3: <laughs> You know I was going to say he at least has the name recognition going for him But I mean you know running in Shatner I mean that <laughs> necessarily <laughs> All right
0: <laughs> What, who else would you run against? Skywalker? <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, man, he'd really be in trouble then. No doubt That would be an it. awesome, you couldn't
2: fit
0: it on a yard sign, that would be the problem. Yeah. <laughs> had an interesting conversation recently on uh, News Talk 1130 WISN, uh, when I filled in for the good folks over there, and had a chance to talk with uh, Adam Nealon, Republican from Pewaukee. Now, speaking of the elections, A lot of folks over at the Capitol will tell you, yeah, I don't think we are going to have an extremely active winter session. It certainly will prove to be a shorter winter session because of the election season. But uh, Adam Nealon will tell you that at least on the reform, government reform side, that this is a Republican-controlled legislature that is interested in getting something done. This is what uh, Representative Nealon had to say.
4: There will absolutely be a push more rules and regulation reform, and I am very proud that Wisconsin is still the only state in the nation to pass the RAINS Act, mm-hmm. it's a bill that's been quoted about several different states, even um, been introduced and passed through the House at the federal level, but we're the only state to implement it into law, so we're very proud of that, and we're going to continue that momentum. Uh, I just signed on to a bill yesterday called the Agency Transformation. Andre Jock, uh, Representative Joe San Filippo, and Senator Dave Craig that's going to do some great things to bring more transparency, accountability, and oversight to state agencies. Um, there's also a bill that's um, going to, uh, you know, when we went through the Foxconn uh, Foxconn legislation, one of the key uh, arguments against it was why, why are we exempting some of these rules and regulations from Foxconn? If it's so great, right. why don't we do that for? Remind the state process, not to touch the federal process, but to, uh, you know, when you look at some of these state wetlands, I I have one of my districts that have
0: that in mind um and you did you talked about this uh, early on because you you helped shepherd the foxconn uh, incentives package through the assembly hearing process very instrumental in i think a very important first step hearing that set the tone and the stage for the foxconn deal with that did you see the piece uh, at macgyver uh, published yesterday it's it's on online today but uh Uh, The Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce has expressed some concerns, I know some lawmakers have as well, about the 2015, what have been described as the zombie, the Obama zombie regulations from the EPA, tougher standards for ozone, and some would argue, and I think perhaps rightfully so, too tough and not measured properly, but it's affecting southeast Wisconsin, and Racine, where Foxconn, will be located, could have the sort of red tape that could be problematic for Foxconn. Uh, what do you know about it, and are you concerned that Foxconn's development could be stymied because of the the EPA, the, the hangers-on from the Obama administration?
4: Great question. And this is an issue that we have been dealing with uh, for several years, as you indicated. came out in 2015. It's something that we've been discussing. And the the one Silver lining in all this is, is how well we've been working with the federal government uh, on, on this. They're very supportive. Uh, the Trump administration has been very supportive of the Foxconn deal, mm-hmm. uh, and we have reached out uh, to the federal government. We think that you know th- they have been great on cutting some of the r- rules in red tape. And we're very uh, optimistic that if there are any fixes that needs to be done, that the federal government and the current administration uh, will be able to handle that. And I'm very optimistic, as I always have been, about the Foxconn uh, deal. And I think that uh, uh, it's going, you know, as as concerning as some of these rules and regulations that that have been passed on from the Obama administration are, I think there is a fix. And we're working on uh, with with the current administration to make sure that this project is not stymied or put back or that the deal doesn't
0: fall apart.
2: All right, so it's good to hear that the legislature is not going to completely snooze for the winter session. No, it sounds
0: like they've got some work to do and they realize that fact. That's a good thing. (laughs)
2: Uh, Well, you can find us, uh, the MacGyver Report, on, again, Any of your go-to podcast apps, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And if you go to our website, we give you links to all of those services. Uh, So check us out.
0: Make that your New Year's resolution. Forget about this weight loss, quit smoking thing, being a better person. Well, we've be already. a more informed person. Go to the MacGyver Podcast. We've That's all
2: we've all I think given up on our resolutions or never even tried to begin with. Oh, they're so. gone.
0: I told you what my New Year's resolution was gonna be. I was gonna do less. And so far, I have screwed that up. Well, I am doing more.
1: You came to our Monday meeting talking about all the interviews you led this weekend. Mm-hmm. I was like, Jesus, I well, that's watched not a lot doing of less. Netflix. What am I doing? Oh my god!
3: Well, well, and being more informative, you know, more informed—that's that's another good subjective one. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to lose yeah. weight. You have hard <laughs> numbers associated with those that people can measure right. your success or failure with. Right. I'm more informed. Well, I subscribe to the McIver podcast. That's right. Yeah. The
0: perfect subjective. <laughs> You know, a resolution for the non-committal person. Exactly. Make yourself informed, and this is the best way to do it. That'll wrap up another edition of this MacGyver Report, as we talk about all things Wisconsin, all things related to you, the taxpayer. We'll do it again, same bat time, same bat channel, next week. Until we do that, this is Matt Kittle. For the rest of the good folks at Team MacGyver, saying, make it a great.